Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Retroist. In the late 1970s, I had made what were probably my first friends, real friends, people that were not introduced to me by family or who I hadn't met through school. These were people I'd become friends with and would stay friends with for a long time. They would also expose me to a whole bunch of new things. My television watching at this time was pretty much whatever my family was watching. I had two older sisters, parents, what they watched or what they told me I could watch, that's what I would watch except for on Saturday mornings. That was my time. Well, I made these new friends, and one of them said to me, there's this great TV show based on the comic book The Hulk that you need to check out. It never occurred to me that I would check out some TV show, which sounds kind of strange, but at that point I just watched what everybody else was watching. We didn't have multiple TVs at that point, just the one. So I never really thought, well, maybe I should try to assert and get the television that night. So I did, and I'm very happy that I did, because up till that point, I had heard of the Hulk, and had maybe seen the comics in the store, but had never read it. I was a Captain America fan. But here, there was this great character, and I went into school the next day and told everybody, oh, I love this character of David Banner. And they're like, well, what do you think of the Hulk? I was like, oh, yeah, he's cool too. At that point, in my head, the real hero of the show was David Banner. The Hulk, incidentally, did things that were cool, but... For some reason, I found the Banner character to be so much more compelling. Some man of science and letters who happened to have this curse. And But these were two very separate characters. The Hulk doing good things seemed incidental to me. He was kind of a benevolent force of nature that rolled in, usually did some good, but then it was up to Banner to be the hero and clean up whatever mess he caused or to inevitably have to move on because the Hulk had done all sorts of damage. And I thought that none of my friends would understand this, so I did go home and tell my mother that I really liked the show and I thought that Dr. Banner was the hero of it and I thought he was really cool. And my mother, who'd watched the show with me, said, well, of course he is the hero of it. You were right in thinking so. So I felt good about myself. I watched The Incredible Hulk throughout its run and would watch the TV movies based on it. I would also start reading the comic books and would become more of a Hulk fan based on the comic books. And I definitely appreciate the performance of Lou Ferrigno in the TV show. But even now, when I watch the show, what I'm struck with is the humanity and realism, the sort of sadness that Bill Bixby brings to the role. The show was fun to watch because Lou Ferrigno was in it, and it had a lot of special effects. But their show was watchable because Bill Bixby was in it. On today's show, we're going to talk about The Incredible Hulk. We'll talk about the production of the show. We'll talk a little bit about the people behind it. We'll, of course, talk about the cast. We'll talk about production, the plot of the show. Talk a little bit about the guest stars, the reception the show got, some of the controversy behind the show, the music on the show, and where you can get The Incredible Hulk nowadays. We have a lot of information to cover, so without further ado, let's start the show.
The Incredible Hulk was an American television show based on the Marvel Comics character. That character was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. The show aired on November 4th, 1977 with two pilot episodes that were TV movies on the CBS network. The show starred Bill Bixby as Dr. David Banner and Lou Ferrigno as the Incredible Hulk. How did this comic make the jump to television? In 1977, the head of Universal Television, his name was Frank Price, talked to producer Kenneth Johnson. Kenneth Johnson had worked on a couple of good science fiction shows, most notably The Bionic Woman at that point, and would later go on to work on V and Alien Nation. So he talked to him and offered him a deal to develop a TV show based on characters that they had licensed from Marvel Comics. Initially, Johnson was not impressed and was going to pass on the idea. Then he started reading Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, and from there thought it would be a really interesting angle to take on the show. We'll talk a little bit about how the plot of Les Miserables has been worked into the plot of The Incredible Hulk a little bit later in the show. In its journey from comic book to television show, a couple of things would change, of course. Probably the thing that most people talk about was the name change. In The Incredible Hulk, the character's name is Robert Bruce Banner. Johnson at the time thought that the fact that the name was alliterative, Bruce Banner, which was very common in comic books at the time, would make people think of the comic book, so he wanted to change it. Another common rumor is that they thought the name Bruce would reflect some sort of fey characteristic and had changed it for that reason, although I haven't been able to find confirmation if that is true or not. The name David was agreed upon because it was the name of Johnson's son. The name Bruce does survive. It is his middle name in the show, which is strange why they didn't just go with Robert Bruce Banner since his first name is Robert. We know that that's his middle name because it is visible on his tombstone at the end of the pilot episode. They also changed the origin of Banner in the first episodes of The Incredible Hulk. Instead of having this atomic blast, which is very comic booky, they had it be sort of a low-grade and more realistic experiment that went wrong, again to play down the comic book aspect. In interviews, Johnson has said that he wanted the Hulk to also be a different color, not green. He wanted him to be red, to show anger. Stan Lee, though, insisted that the Hulk must remain green, and Johnson would eventually agree to that. Nowadays, we do have a red Hulk in comics if you're reading it. And a fun fact, in the original comic, the Hulk was actually gray when he first appeared. I'm not sure how well gray would have gone over in the television series. It would have been an interesting choice. So they've got the changes, they've got a plot, now they need to come up with a good cast. Johnson's first choice was a television actor who'd been working for quite a while named Bill Bixby. Bixby wasn't too happy, but then read the script, sort of liked where it was coming, like this Les Mis idea about a man who is fleeing from the authorities, and once he saw that he was going to be cast against a relentless reporter as his antagonist, someone played by Jack Colvin, he signed on. Bill Bixby, who was born in 1934 and died tragically young at age 59 and 93 of cancer, was a television and film actor, director, frequent game show panelist, very well known, worked for over three decades, and appeared on shows like My Favorite Martian and The Courtship of Eddie's Father before working on The Incredible Hulk. His nemesis on the show, Jack Colvin, was born the exact same year as Bixby, 
and passed away in 2005. He's probably best known for his role on The Incredible Hulk as McGee, and perhaps to horror fans as Dr. Ardmore in the movie Child's Play. Now that they had their human actors, one of the more difficult tasks was finding the right person to play the role of The Incredible Hulk. Arnold Schwarzenegger actually auditioned for the role and probably would have gotten it because he was a good specimen, but he was too short for the role. Then actor Richard Keel was hired for the role. Richard Keel played Jaws in the James Bond movies. During filming, however, Johnson's son, who happened to be a Hulk fan, pointed out that Keel, although gigantic, was underdeveloped physically and didn't really resemble the Hulk. So they went out and looking for another person and found Lou Ferrigno, who is a hulk of a man at six foot five and has the physique of a Schwarzenegger. So he was the perfect person for the time. A brief shot of Keel as the Hulk remains in the pilot of the show. And Keel, in an interview later, said he reacted badly to the contact lenses that you had to use for the role and didn't find the green makeup to be all that satisfying. So he didn't really mind losing the part, although I wonder if that's a retrospect thing. Ferrigno would go on to play parts in Sinbad of the Seven Seas and Hercules, and most recently was in the movie comedy I Love You, Man, and had a recurring role as himself on King of Queens. Very talented, and I met him once. Very nice guy. The narration at the beginning of the show might sound familiar to you. goes a little something like this. Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation interacts with his unique body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. If that voice is familiar to you, it was done by Ted Cassidy, who is probably best known as Lurch in The Addams Family. He would provide the vocalizations in the pilot and the first two seasons. Sadly, in 1979, Cassidy died, and Charles Napier would provide the Hulk's roars for the remaining episodes. So it's a very simple show, just three main characters. I remember reading about Bixby and Ferrigno working on this, and how, because David Banner didn't really remember anything when he was the Hulk, he wouldn't watch any of Ferrigno's performances, and Ferrigno would do the same. So they were hardly ever on the set together. He was also smart enough to never be photographed with Lou Ferrigno while the show was going on, when Ferrigno was in makeup, because he didn't want to ruin the illusion for children and fans of the show that they weren't the same person. From what I understand, tabloids at the time were always trying to get a shot of them together, but were never able to. Surprised that wasn't a plot on some sitcom in the early 80s of trying to get the two together. Ferrigno obviously had to don a lot of makeup and be turned green for every episode. To avoid sweating, which would cause that makeup to come off, Ferrigno spent most of his time in a refrigerated motorhome. Also, and I'm sure he was happy about this, Initially, the face makeup on the Hulk is pretty heavy, but a couple episodes into the show's production, they decided to tone it down a little, so I'm sure that was a great amount of relief for Mr. Ferrigno. Some people, when they're watching the show, like to point out some of the flubs. Sometimes you can see the body makeup rub off. There's one scene where 
the Hulk is fighting a bear, where that's apparent. Also, when the Hulk is running outdoors, he's always barefoot because his shoes come off. In one particular episode that takes place in New York, the Hulk is running through Times Square, and when he's running through those areas, he would wear green slippers to protect his feet. And if you're ever watching that New York episode, it's really apparent. Frigno tells a joke that even the Hulk isn't strong enough to go barefoot in Times Square back in the 1970s. Probably a good call. Now, a little bit about the plot of the TV show. David Banner is a physician scientist who is traumatized by a car accident that killed his wife. And he's haunted by his inability to muster the strength to save her. And he starts studying how people, when they're in danger, sometimes get superhuman strength and are able to save their loved ones. He decides that high levels of gamma radiation from sunspots are the cause of this, and that the emotional stress level combined with that radiation alters the body chemistry and causes an increase in strength. To test this, he bombards his own body with gamma radiation. Unknown to him, he gets a higher dose than he wanted. He finishes the experiment, he attempts to lift a heavy object, and nothing happens. So angrily, he leaves the lab. Driving home in a rainstorm, he has a flat tire, injures himself trying to change it, turns him into the Hulk, flips out. There's a little bit of Frankenstein stuff where the Hulk meets a little girl, he gets shot, he runs away, he calms down finally, transforms back to Banner, who has no memory of anything. He also is fully healed. So he goes and looks for his research partner, Dr. Marks, who is played by Susan Sullivan. She's amazed at his healing power, but is shocked when he tells her that he bombarded himself with radiation. They try to lock him up and fix him. None of it works. At this time, the story of the Hulk is picked up by a reporter named Jack McGee, who is investigating the sighting. Horrible things happen. Dr. Marks dies. The Hulk is blamed, and Banner needs to go on the run. And of course, at this point, McGee vows to capture the killer of Marx, and he also believes the killer of Banner, because Banner was in the lab accident is presumed dead. Then, the show starts to become like The Fugitive. Banner moves from town to town, trying to find a cure for himself, whereas in The Fugitive, he was trying to find clues about his wife, and along the way, helps a lot of people. Over the course of several years, we got to learn a lot about Banner. He's constantly worried about what sort of damage the Hulk would cause. What he doesn't know is that the Hulk, although angry, is actually kind of sweet and kind when when he's not unwittingly hurting things with his strength. Fun little thing. He always uses the name David, his first name, when picking a new alias when he moves from place to place. And the second name always starts with a B, which I guess that's how people pick aliases so that they're easier to remember. As the show would go on, you would actually become more sympathetic to McGee. And McGee actually starts to learn that the Hulk perhaps is not as dangerous as he thought. The Hulk would come to ruin his career, and it would become sort of like a Moby Dick story of obsession, of just trying to get to know and find this creature. He's even treated as a laughing stock by his fellow reporters for his beliefs. So both men are constantly on the run, and both very much constantly alone. The Incredible Hulk radio-controlled inflatable figure. With a radio transmitter, you can give him commands. Two 9-volt and 4C batteries are not included. Over the back. They could come back. The Hulk radio control figure is really big. A full three and a half feet tall and made of soft, durable vinyl. Also available separately, Walt Disney's Mickey Mouse as well as Space Marauder and Dracula. His eyes and teeth glow in the dark. 
the Incredible Hulk radio-controlled inflatable figure and transmitter. Look up there! It's the Hulk! Helps you from Kid Power! The Incredible Hulk meets Spider-Man. Each figure a foot tall and fully posable. All you need is a piece of string and here comes Spider-Man. Avalanche! This is a job for the Hulk. The Incredible Hulk with a face that's mean. Lots of muscle and skin that's free. Superhero Hulk. Good job, handsome. The Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man from the Superhero Collection. Each sold separately by Mego. Now, the show mainly had the three actors working on it. I think only Ferrigno appeared in all the episodes, and Bixby missed one. But there would be tons of guest stars, some well-known, some not so well-known at the time, people who would go on to being well-known. Just start off, there was cameos by two very important comic figures. Jack Kirby would appear in Season 2 of The Incredible Hulk, in the episode No Escape, and in the post-TV series movie Trial of the Incredible Hulk, Stan Lee, the writer, would make an appearance, so pretty cool. Now, there was a lot of actors and actresses who were in there along the way. There's a huge list, but amongst them are such favorites as Ernie Hudson, Rick Springfield, Gordon Jump, Charles Napier, Sally Kirkland, Lonnie Anderson, Mackenzie Phillips, Anne Lockhart, James Garner, and Ray Walston. There's an episode where Lou Ferrigno actually is a guest star as well as the Hulk in the series, where he plays a bodybuilder who has moved away from home and is trying to start a life for himself. Really great episode. And you see some depth to Ferrigno's acting that you really don't get to see when he's playing the Hulk. Now here's Metagirl with the top five episodes of The Incredible Hulk. Five, four, three. Two, one. Greetings, retro fans. This is Metagirl, bringing you the top five episodes of the television series The Incredible Hulk. At number five is season three, episode nine, The Snare. After being invited to a remote island, David becomes the target of a psychotic hunter. Number four is a two-parter, Mystery Man, episodes 16 and 17 from season two. A car accident leaves David with amnesia and his face covered in bandages, which conceal his identity from Jack McGee. And while en route to see a specialist, the plane in which David and McGee are traveling crashes. Number three is Season 3, Episode 1, Metamorphosis. A rock star, Lisa Swan, played by Mackenzie Phillips, sings for a Kiss-like rock band and becomes suicidal after one of her fans is injured during a concert performance. Can David save her before it's too late? At number two is Season 4, Episodes 1 and 2, the two-parter, Prometheus. David's half-Hulk, half-human condition leads a military group called Prometheus to believe that he is an alien, so they capture him and then they send him to a lab for study. And the number one episode of The Incredible Hulk is... Season 4, Episode 15, 
Interview with the Hulk. A hapless reporter steals Jack McGee's latest tip on the Hulk and ends up getting an interview with David Banner. And there you have it, the retroist top five episodes of the TV series The Incredible Hulk. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl. When the show premiered, Starlog magazine described it as one of the most promising shows to appear in some time. And The Incredible Hulk would do really well when it premiered. And it would eventually find a home on a highly rated night of television, Friday nights, where it was followed by the Dukes of Hazard, and then after that would be Dallas. From 1979, they had a really strong ratings until 1981. Then during its abbreviated fifth and final season, it was moved to a new night as ratings dipped. So as the show dipped, Universal was trying to figure out a way to keep it going, and it was a pricey show. It cost around $600,000 an episode minimum to film. So the studio proposed a couple of things that would help to cut it. They wanted to have the special effects reduced and have the Hulk appear only once per episode. And another person proposed that they add a character who would travel with David in a motorhome, which would give them a set that they could constantly use instead of having to rebuild apartments or whatever he was going to be staying in. This was in 1980. CBS decided, well, it's a good show. It's still going at that point. Ratings had not dipped. They kept the money. Now, I could see the motorhome thing maybe working somewhat, but I imagine the reason they decided to not cut the budget is because everyone loves seeing the Incredible Hulk. And if you cut the budget, that means having the Hulk appear only once per episode as opposed to twice, which was the standard. Lou Ferrigno would meet fans all the time, and he said this in his book, my incredible life as the Hulk. Fans would complain that he wasn't given enough screen time, and he would constantly lobby to get the Hulk's appearance increase to three per episodes, but due to budgetary restrictions, they stayed at two, so maybe the forces pushing on both ends kept it at two. In 1981, the show, as I said, was on descent. There was also a strike on the horizon. So the production team continued filming episodes for the show's fifth season directly upon completion of the fourth. However, when only seven of those had been filmed, CBS canceled the show. Some said that Bixby wanted to move on when his contract was up, although that has never been shown to be necessarily true. Certainly, Ferrigno was still enjoying doing the show. What was most sad about this is they didn't get to wrap up the show. They did a bunch of season five episodes, but they never got to do an episode where Banner is cured of the Hulk. some great music, huh? That music was done by Joe Harnell. He composed the music for The Incredible Hulk and was brought in mainly because he was associated with the TV show Bionic Woman, and as I mentioned earlier, Johnson had worked on that. The music at the beginning and closing credits is a piano piece called The Lonely Man. I gotta admit, whenever I hear that, I get kind of emotional. It's really sad and wonderful music. Now, the show was canceled, and they didn't get to really finish it up, and they never would. But they would make more Incredible Hulk stuff. 
in the way of TV movies. In 84, two years after the series went off the air, Bixby talked to Nicholas Hammond. Nicholas Hammond had played Peter Parker in the late 1970s version of The Amazing Spider-Man and asked him if he'd like to reprise that role in a proposed Hulk Spider-Man TV movie. Hammond said, oh yeah, but Universal Studios canceled the project, claiming that Lou Ferrigno wasn't going to do it. But in his autobiography, Ferrigno said he was never even approached about the project, and only discovered it later while researching his book. That would have been cool, a team-up between Spider-Man and the Hulk. Well, it would take six years, but three television movies would be produced with Bixby and Ferrigno playing those roles again. All three of them aired on NBC. And in two of these shows, we would see Marvel characters that had never made an appearance on TV before. The first in The Incredible Hulk Returns, David Banner meets one of his former students, played by Steve Levitt, who has a magical hammer that summons Thor, played by Eric Allen Kramer. And it's not the same as the Marvel Thor, exactly. Sadly, this movie would mark Colvin's final appearance as Jack McGee, and his storyline would never be resolved. In 89, Banner meets a blind lawyer named Matt Murdock, who turns out to be Daredevil from the Marvel comics. And Daredevil and the Incredible Hulk battled the kingpin of crime, although in the movie he's only referred to as Wilson Fisk, but if you're a fan, he's the kingpin. Daredevil was played by Rex Smith, and John Rhys Davies portrayed Fisk. Both of those shows were supposed to sort of be backdoor pilots where they're hoping to sneak these characters in to get their own series. But there was never a Thor, nor was there ever a Daredevil series. In 1990, Bill Bixby did his last role as the Incredible Hulk in an episode called Death of the Incredible Hulk. He falls in love with a Eastern European spy who I assumed would be the Black Widow. The film ends with the Hulk taking a fatal fall from an airplane and reverting back to human form right before he dies, which allows Banner to speak just as he's about to die. Now, even though he died there, there was supposed to be yet another Incredible Hulk movie, Revenge of the Incredible Hulk, which would have, at some point, been filmed in the 90s, but sadly, Bill Bixby got sick and passed away in November of 1993. That would have been an interesting movie, because it would have been the movie where the Hulk spoke. Just a reminder, today's episode is brought to you by pizza. Hot pizza. Who doesn't love pizza? that pizza. If you are a fan of The Incredible Hulk, it is on television right now on retro television. If you don't have RTV, you can get all three of the NBC TV movies on DVD. They've been available since 2003. In 2006, season one of The Incredible Hulk was released on DVD, which contains the original pilot and the entire first season. 2007, Universal released season two, which includes the entire second season. In 
2008, they released season 3 and 4 on DVD, just in time to promote the 2008 film, The Incredible Hulk. Later in the year, they released season 5 on DVD. This contained all of the last seven episodes and interviews by Ken Johnson. After that final release, the series was released as a full Own the Whole series box set, both in the U.S. and in the U.K. So nowadays we have the Hulk movies, and that's going through some craziness of not being able to keep an actor in the lead role. But in this Avenger mania that we have coming up, it has revived talks of bringing the Hulk back to television. And in October of this year, Marvel and ABC, which is fun because went from CBS to NBC to ABC, which I guess has to do with Disney and Marvel being together now. Well, those two, ABC and Marvel, announced that they are thinking of releasing a new series based on The Incredible Hulk that I imagine will have tons of CGI and some new actor playing the role, and hopefully it will be just as dramatic as the first one. The Incredible Hulk was a fun show. It was also very well done. It had two very good, strong, dramatic actors, Bixby and Colvin. Ferrigno took it very seriously, and it was filled with great guest stars. I know many people's first impression of the show, when they're thinking back on it, is comic booky, big, over the top. But I really suggest you give it another shot and watch the subtlety that Bixby and even Colvin bring to their roles when they're playing against each other. I know that this new Incredible Hulk is going to come out, and they're going to try to put as many CGI effects as they can into it. I know a CGI Hulk makes a lot more sense in a lot of ways. I just hope that when they're picking the person to play Banner, they try to pick an actor who could live up to the performance that Bixby brought week after week. I am a fan. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You could follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist. Thanks to Metagirl for another great top five list. If you'd like to contact Metagirl, send some praise her way. You can email her at metagirl at retroist.com. Thanks to Peachy for the great music you hear at the beginning and toward the end of the episode. Peachy does a lot of the music for the Retroist podcast. I really appreciate it. Remember, if you like the music, it's peachy. If you'd like to talk about The Incredible Hulk, drop by the Retroist Forum at retroist.com slash forum. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend.
Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Do, 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 do. This has been a Retro production. Goodbye.